We're back with another chapter of the 2023 Cigar Thoughts Positional Breakdown Series. Today, we're focusing on the wide receivers with former NFL wideout and current co-host of the Bump and Stacy Show on 710 ESPN Radio, Michael Bumpus. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my sanguine producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We're doing great, Jackson. You know, I get that one a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the first word that springs to mind when I exactly see you, man. That, it's, it's a pretty frequent thing. Uh, doing well, man. It is officially summer. Can't believe that that is the Holy case. Cow, but it is. here we are. Here we are. Happy summer solstice to you, and uh, ready to get this uh, this positional breakdown series continued. Yeah, man, I, I'm with you. I didn't even realize it's summer solstice because we are not seeing that weather wise up here. But uh, <laughs> supposed to break tomorrow, get a little bit better. And other than that, man, life is great. I love the NFL season, but I'm also appreciating one of the last lulls in the league calendar before the momentum towards the regular season really picks up speed. But it also gives us a chance to go deep on the Seahawks roster. And we've had a blast with the positional breakdown series so far this year. Most of you listening know we've already had Walter Jones on to discuss the O-line, Mina Kimes to break down quarterback. And today, we've got yet another sensational guest to help us dive into what might be the most exciting position group on the Seahawks. But before we do that, I want to thank everyone who has left us a review over the past year and a half, and we want to start giving some love to those of you who have taken the time. Yeah, shout out to everybody who has left reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. I'm going to read one off the top here just to give everyone an idea of the the kind words that people have bestowed upon us recently. We got one from BHAMSAM23, uh, who titles it The Best Hawks Podcast Out There. Beham Sam says, this show is as insightful, interesting, and honest as they come. I really appreciate having someone as knowledgeable and curious as Jackson to give the latest and most important information out there. Great guests every week, and he's never afraid to admit when he was wrong about something. I would say that happens quite a bit, but, you know, what do I know? <laughs> uh, would give this six stars if I could. Oh, oh, oh shot across the bow from producer Mike. Yeah. Oh, Sam, that, that's keep you extremely on kind of you, man. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely kind of you, man. I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, as far as being wrong goes, look, nobody bats a thousand when it comes to giving opinions, uh, especially about sports. And, you know... I look, situations change and yeah, I've been wrong about plenty of stuff, but you know, the goal, and this is something that I appreciate about you, Mike, as well is the goal is to have an accurate view of situations as they stand. And I think we should all be open to letting new information inform our opinions and adjust as necessary. You know, the last thing I want to do is get take lock just because I said something on one show or in one article, I don't want to feel like I have to defend that to the death if things end up changing and things change all the time in the NFL. So Sam, thank you so much for that. Also, you guys, as you know, you can still get your official cigar thoughts, cigars, directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. We've had a blast getting those out to people. Feedback's been awesome. Just follow the link, place your order to get these very special stogies made from 13-year aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We'll shoot you the deets directly. We've also launched our YouTube channel. That is growing quickly. You can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. 
This is one of the best ways you can support Cigar Thoughts. So we're grateful for the few seconds it'll take you to subscribe, to like the posts, and to listen. So appreciate all y'all for doing that as well. Now, it's time to get back to the business at hand. Joining us today is someone that we're very excited to have in the Cigar Lounge. He was a standout wide receiver in college, graduating from Washington State University as the school's all-time leader in receptions, and spent the 2008 season as a member of the Seattle Seahawks. And, as many of you know, he's the co-host of the Bump and Stacy Show on 710 ESPN Sports Radio with another friend of the podcast, Stacy Rost. He is Michael Bumpus. Bump, thanks for coming in. What up? <laughs> <laughs> appreciate having you in here today man thank you for making the time yeah no problem thanks for having me man i'm excited to be here of course of course now look there's a lot that we're eager to get into with you today including looks at seattle's individual wideouts where the group ranks among the nfl's receiver core and all that but i want to take the opportunity to learn from you a little more about what it takes to be a successful wide receiver at the nfl level the thing about this position and i think it's really safe to say that there are at least three positions under the umbrella of wide receiver but the thing is, is it's a very visible role on the field. The stats are easily accessible for a casual fan and developments, not only in the sport, but in fantasy football, have made a lot of people feel like they're familiar with the position, but it's not as straightforward as just getting open and catching the ball. Is it? No, nah, it's deeper than that. And you know, it's funny. You're asking me what it takes to be a successful wide receiver. Granted, I only have five catches, but I was in that thing, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but one of them was a tutty. <laughs> one was a tutty. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to to learn from a lot of really good wide receivers. Like when I was in the league, Nate Burleson, who's doing great things in the media game now. Um, you have Bobby Wagner. Corn Robinson was there for a little bit. And the main thing I observed and learned from them from my, my time in the NFL was that great receivers always have a plan. Like these young receivers that come in who are just physically gifted and can get open just because they're bigger, faster, stronger, don't have to rely on their plan as much as, say, the veteran wide receiver or the receiver that comes in, like a Jake Bobo that's trying to make the team for the Seahawks, who really has to understand what they're looking at to be successful. When I say what you're looking at, I mean like, all right, where are the safeties? How are these linebackers playing? Let's look at the corners. What coverage do I think this is? What shell am I looking at? And how does that affect my route? So the main thing is having a plan. I mean, a lot of guys are just worried about lining up and running the right route, which is part of the process. Right. But um, as you see these receivers come in and they're they're more ready to go, the Jefferson Jeffersons, the Jamar Chase, the CeeDee Lambs, these guys are ready to go because they've gotten lots of reps, they're physically gifted, and they understand what they're looking at and always have a plan. Yeah, so let's go a little deeper on that. You know, you you were kind enough to step away from hosting the Seahawks draft party at the Space Needle to join us for our live reaction show. And during that time, you, you touched on this a little bit, but talk to me about some of the subtleties that go into having a plan and being able to adjust in the middle of a play. Uh, so I'll go to the slot because the Hawks got a good slot receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think is going to play outside too, but they're going to start him off in the slot. Um so when you line up in a slot, say you're in a two-by-two two formation, two receivers to the right, two receivers to the left. Our new lineup, it's a balanced formation. So you expect the look you get from the defense to be balanced. Okay, say you're in, you're playing against a 3-4 defense like the Seahawks. Um, one, one edge rusher typically is going to walk down to the line of scrimmage. If you play a two-eye team, you got two safeties. And now I'm looking at the leverage of the linebacker or safety if he, if he walks down. Leverage meaning, is he inside, is he head up, is he outside? For example, I know that playing against mm -hmm. the Seahawks, you're going to see a lot of, at least old Seahawks, right? You see a lot of one-high looks. And you could guess 
seven times out of 10, that's going to be a cover three. So if I have that safety walk down on my side, his job is going to be curl to flat. So when I release, depending on my route, if I know I'm getting vertical, if he's on the right side of me protecting the curl to flat, I'm going to move just a little bit to the right on my release just to make sure just make sure that all right, he's going there. This is exactly what it is. If he's inside and I see a one high safety look, then I'm going to assume that it's man inside or head up. But as I take my first two steps off the line of scrimmage, I'm still trying to diagnose exactly what I'm looking at. So uh, in the slot, you have to you have less room to work with. So you have to process information a bit faster. On the outside, I see two eye safeties. I see a, a corner with his butt to the sideline, and he's looking at the quarterback. All right, that's probably his own. He's probably in quarters. I see one high safety butt to the sideline looking at the quarterback. He's probably in deep thirds. Granted, his responsibilities are the same. If he's head up or inside, then it's man. But when I take my steps off the line of scrimmage, um, by, I tell my dudes, by your third step, you got to know exactly what he's in. So uh, you process the information. You take what the scouting report tells you that you think they're going to be in. You double check it out the line of scrimmage, and then you confirm it a few steps into your route. Yeah, you know, uh, and another thing these days, I mean, there's there's experts on everything, right? And there's some really cool people doing some cool grading stuff, you know, just outside of PFF, you got Matt Harmon doing his reception perception stuff where he's grading every receiver on every type of route they run. But one of the things that I think is, is kind of tough to quantify um, are option routes, right? And, and there's routes that you guys have to run that receivers get in the huddle. And it's kind of an, if then situation, isn't it right? Where it's like, if the defense does this thing, I'm doing X. If they do the other thing, I'm doing Y. How important is it and how difficult is it to get on the same page with a quarterback? Because a lot of times you'll see an, an interception that's just thrown straight to a defensive back. And it looks like the quarterback made a terrible play, but oftentimes it's just he was assuming the receiver was going to choose one option and the receiver chose the other one. Yeah, it's um, that's why those reps are important. Not even like those offseason reps. Remember, Russ used to have guys come down to his house in San Diego. Um, mm-hmm. It's learning the the quarterback has to learn the receiver's body language, right? When he breaks down and he drops his right shoulder, this is what I anticipate him doing. He breaks down, drops to left. Everybody can run a hitch or a post or a curl or a dig, but every receiver has their own style. Like route running is like a fingerprint. You know, everyone has their own hmm. fingerprint. Uh, we all have thumbs, but our thumbs are a bit different when you look at the fingerprints. Same thing with a route. Everyone can run a route, but it might just look a little different. So one, the quarterback has to know or learn the body language of the receiver. And now on the receiver's part, we have to make the quarterback right. Like if the quarterback tells me, if I see this defender hop this way, I expect you to do this. If he does vice versa, I expect you to do that. So it it comes with a lot of repetition. There's got to be a lot of chemistry and a lot of trust because the worst thing you can do as a receiver is make the wrong decision. QB goes the other way. And now he don't trust you. Now he's looking the other way when it comes to those option routes, um, uh, what I like to call them. And not even not necessarily just option routes at five to eight yards. There are some option routes that you get, especially in a Wazoo system, where I'm running up the seam. If the safety's over the top, I'm sitting down at 15. Uh, you know, if the safety's outside, I'm going to break it into this post. So that comes with learning each other's expectations, receiver learning the, the quarterback expectations, and then the quarterback understanding what it looks like when a receiver is trying to accomplish certain route or leverage. Yeah. You know, uh, probably the, the second most infamous play in 
Seahawks history is we want the ball and we're going to score, right? Mm-hmm. Is that an example of that? And I think it was uh, Alex Bannister who's the receiver on that. Mm-hmm. I'm just not being on the same page because that throw went straight to the DB of the easiest pick six in history. Uh, and and it just looked like Hasselbeck just did the dumbest thing ever. But could that be chalked up to a miscommunication and option route? Something like that? It could be. The way, if I remember that correctly, it looked like he was running an out and the corner was sitting right there. So I look at this two ways. If you're running it out, you got the corner sitting right there. It looks like a cover two because he's not getting depth. That means he's lined up in the flat. He's responsible for the flat. As a receiver, typically you are told to throttle down and sit in that gap between the corner and the the uh, the linebacker, typically or safety, depending on what they're in. I think that one was on Matt Hasselbeck because – Okay. If I'm running as if I'm running out as a receiver, I'm not going to run into coverage. I'm going to sit down in the space, mm-hmm. um, unless mm-hmm. you're coached to run, unless you're coached to run into coverage and get maybe the goal outside the open. I look at that and I think Matt Hasselback didn't see the corner sitting there. The receiver sat down in space and they just weren't on the same page. Okay. Okay, that's that's a good peek behind the curtain. I I may have been wrong on that one for the last 15 <laughs> years, however long it's been. <laughs> I appreciate the insight, man. So let, let's talk a little bit about the specific guys on this team. Uh, Seattle has seen remarkable production and consistency from the top two wideouts on the team over the last number of years, from Doug Baldwin and Golden Tate to Baldwin and Tyler Lockett to Lockett and DK Metcalf. The number three guy has rotated pretty rapidly during that time, but this year the Seahawks went all in to grab the near consensus number one receiver in this year's draft, which fleshes out the position group to a degree we haven't seen before. And we'll chat about him more in a second, but I want to start with the most polished dude on the field. Talk to me about Tyler Lockett. What allowed him to be so successful early in his career and what he's doing that's keeping him near the upper echelon wide receivers, even into his thirties, despite being a smaller guy. Tell me about that evolution and what he does to keep winning. Yeah, um, first off, big ups to the small receivers out there. You know, your boy stands at 5'11", <laughs> so let's get it. <laughs> but early in his career, man, it was kick returns, right? I mean, he made a Pro mm-hmm. Bowl, I believe, his first and second year just doing kick returns. So him, when you get a good kick returner, one, that means that they're fast and they have vision, right? They understand how to manipulate a defense because when you're doing kick returns and punt returns, you set up your blocks by your angles because the defense has to react to you. So initially he showed he was comfortable on the football field, um, making plays with some of the best athletes in the world in the kick return game. The thing that impresses me the most about Tyler Lockett though, is his ability to get open in an unorthodox way. His routes are clean. Just like you mentioned, one of the best route runners in the game, but he does little subtle things that I don't see too many receivers doing. For example, as a receiver, you're taught when you're running an in-breaking route, you get to that outside foot because it's strongest to push your body weight in. I've seen Tyler Lockett do this little skip to where he's skipping in, he pushes off his inside foot and rolls over that outside foot. I watched Tyler Lockett, and he'll do something like that skip I just mentioned, and he'll skip off the inside foot and roll the outside foot. So to a DB, who's used to seeing routes ran the same way their whole lives because I I don't even teach that type of stuff unless you're running a speed out. It looks different to him, but he still keeps it crisp. There's no wasted movement. He's one of the few receivers to attack a route like that and still have no wasted movement, um, which I think is awesome. Another thing that he's really good at is that he creates space while the football is in the air 
in a way that allows him to not have to reach up and go and grab the football. I want you to think about the biggest plays title Lockett has made. I can guarantee you, you're not thinking of any play where he's exposing himself, he's reaching up for the football, and uh, putting himself in position to take a big hit. And how does he do that? He understands the angle of where the ball is about to drop, and I've seen him do little subtle things, like hit the brakes on the defender, right? Say he has a defender on his hip, and you're, you're throwing a football over the top of his shoulder. He realizes, okay, this defender is on me. I'm going to slow down just a little bit, bump into him, and then accelerate. Like his patience and awareness of the situation allows him to catch footballs that a guy his size normally doesn't catch. You look at that catch against the Saints last year in the end zone. Gino oh threw it to him with four guys surrounding him. And because yeah. he understands – Okay, angles and spacing, he's able to make that play. So it's an unorthodox game. I've never seen a receiver move and do some of the things that he does, but it works for him, and it's it's pretty original. Craziest thing about that play is, because I know exactly when you're talking about, it's like deep up the left seam, and DK is running like a crossing route underneath it, and he sees the ball go up. Metcalf sees the ball goes up, looks at Lockett, sees the four defenders, and he throws his hands up in the air because he knew Lockett was going to catch it, even though yeah. it was like, you know, if you get one of those like Amazon stats completion probability, uh-huh. it's probably like a 5% pass. And Metcalf just knew because he, he sees it all the time. And, and, you know, you're talking about these subtleties that Tyler Lockett has. I think one of the things, one of my favorite parts of his game, he might have the latest hands of any receiver mm-hmm. I've ever watched. And by that, I mean, he doesn't show where his catch point is until the absolute last second because he's got those short arms he got those tiny little baby hands and yet they get exactly where they need to be a split second before the ball arrives so the db oftentimes he'll make these contested catches defensive backs haven't even put their hands in the air yet to try and block his vision or block the ball because they're trying to read those hands and they haven't shown yet you sound like a receiver coach right now bro <laughs> i mean that's that's uh that's a story that, that some people don't recognize. If you don't know the position, you know what I'm saying? Some people don't recognize that. And I think that's a great point because when you're running, I teach. Now, I've coached both sides of the football, right? Obviously, I'm a receiver guy. But when I flip over to the defensive side, I coach DBs. I go, look, there are mm-hmm. a few things that a receiver is going to do to let you know that football is coming. Right. One, those eyes are going to get big, man. He goes from smooth, tight <laughs> eyes. Yeah. Some things are getting big. That ball is coming. Expect you can react. Another thing is they start to raise up a little bit. Pad level goes from being down to four to a sprint to up. I'm adjusting to catch the football. And the last one is showing the hands. Young receivers, what they want to do is say they're throwing the ball over the shoulder down the sideline. They want to run like this, right? And what Tyler Lockett does is exactly what you described is you pump, you pump, you pump. Last second, you flash him late. So you don't give the deviant opportunity to do some of the sneaky things they do, like grab at your your wrist a little bit if you have sleeves on or tug on you a little bit or play the hands early. But because it's such a bang, bang play, the uh, the referees don't see it. So, yeah, that's um that's a great observation, man. A lot of people don't even recognize that. Well, it's it's crazy because, like you said, he was kind of special teams guy. I mean, he was he was insanely productive at Kansas State, third round pick. But it was just kind of like, can a guy this small translate? And, you know, he had. He had significant stats his first four or five years in the league, but then, you know, the, the team had, and this is so funny. It's like one of those little footnotes 
in the development of this team, but they had a big decision to make between him and Paul Richardson, which one of those guys they were going to extend. And that was a big debate on Seahawks Twitter and Paul Richardson, more of a contested catch guy. He ended up getting a really nice contract from Washington at Seattle decided not to match and they extended Lockett instead. And from that point, I mean, Tyler Lockett has been a true wide receiver one. I was looking up his stats over the last five years this man is averaging 79 catches, 1,045 yards, and nine touchdowns for half a decade straight. Like, that's wild. Yet, CBS put out their top 100 players and he wasn't on it. You know what I'm saying? I'm <laughs> right, like, like, give me a break. What are you looking at? You know, and, and I'm not even trying to disrespect <laughs> a name that I'm going to mention, but I'm looking at Devontae Smith, receiver from the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And I go, dude's a baller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Downfield threat, over 1,000 yards. But my man Lockett does it every single year you get dk more involved don't worry about it i got it you want to get the tight ends more involved don't worry about i got you um so the the, and i think really uh it's his personality that makes people overlook him because he's not your typical receiver we got the biggest personalities (laughs) we want the football i mean i get it yeah And, and he's just not that you know what i mean so it's easy for people to overlook him and go straight to dk and dk it should be on that list deserves to be on that list but DK kind of overshadows him figuratively and literally. He's just a bigger receiver, right. big personality. Right. Uh, so, yeah, man, uh, man, stop stop disrespecting my boy 16, man. He, he's legit a top 10 receiver in this league. Same story every year, man. Same yep. story every year. It's like yep. he gets lost in the shuffle, and then you look up at the end of the year, bang, Pro Bowl numbers again. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we're talking about, Lockett winning in a bunch of subtle ways. And you mentioned this next guy who couldn't be more opposite in how he gets it done. And yet they're producing at almost identical levels. You know, I I mentioned that Lockett averaged 79,045 and nine over his last five years. DK Metcalf is averaging 76, 1050 and nine in his career, but he's done that over his first four seasons. Whereas it took Lockett about five years to start putting up those numbers, the size, the speed, they're obvious with Metcalf. But it takes more than that to consistently put up these kinds of stats, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But let's not get it twisted. Size and speed, man. Goodness gracious. You got that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a shot for sure. And the thing about when DK came into the league, people were saying, oh, well, he only played one side of the field. He's only good for a pose. He's only good for a goal, downfield threat. And I go, all right, that's a good place to start when you're 6'3", 225, running a 4'3". <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw you some goals. We'll throw you some posts. But as DK develops, I've seen him open up his bag of tricks, man. Okay. I've seen him loosen up those hips, be more patient at the top of routes when he's working for timing. I've seen him. There was a year, I want to say it was the the COVID year when no one was in the stands, where he had a few drop passes. You know, and mm-hmm. people were saying, oh, his hands aren't 100%. And I go, okay, well, that, that's something you can work on. It's a, it's a given ability. Like, you got to have it. But uh, he wasn't starting from scratch. And I've seen him make the more difficult catches. Look at the catch against uh, the Rams to win the game. That's a slant going through traffic. Jalen uh, Ramsey's on his back, and he's still making the play. Yeah. With DK, he's such a physically gifted receiver that it makes DBs, even the Jalen Ramsey's, second guess how aggressive they want to be with him. Because they know if you make a mistake, he's going to blow by you because he's strong enough to get through a pass interference or you grabbing or whatnot. So um, DK has been a pleasant surprise in his development because every single year I see this man do something I didn't see him do last year or do at the efficiency level 
that he did last year. So you have those two together, man. It's uh, you, you got you got the big dude and the small dude. You got the big personality. You have the the quiet personality. You have the the physically gifted, and then you have the guy that you can find at Target right now just walking through the aisle. You know, right, like right. The, the contrast between those two is, is crazy. It it is. You know, when I talk about wide receivers, one of the things I like to mention is is being able to develop that mid range game, right? Like, I'm not yeah. saying he's LeBron James, but let's let's just talk about a basketball player who has this insane combination in size, speed, explosiveness. And when LeBron first came into the league, he won by getting to the rack. And as his career developed, he developed a mid-range game, a crossover. He had back-to-the-basket moves, right? Like he, like you said, he opened up his bag. And that's what I'm seeing with DK because last year, you know, the whole league has adopted this too-high shell coverage. And you could just see teams saying like, all right, whatever happens, DK ain't getting loose. He didn't have a single long touchdown last year until the playoff game uh, against 49ers. And you saw it, right? You, you go back and you watch the replays and you'd see there's a safety shading over the top or a linebacker slipping underneath him. And so they were force feeding him those little five to 10 yard routes. And he was still eating. He still put up numbers, even though he didn't have those big explosive plays. And that's not something I think he could have done two, three years ago. No, you're right. And, you know, I, I talked about, being in the slot and learning how to work in tight spaces. That's all DK did last year is learn how to work in these tight spaces. And you know who you got to give love to, man? Sanjay Lau. I mean, you got to give that receiver coach some love because as soon as he became the guy, what, two, three years ago, I want to say, I started seeing more out of DK. And DK understanding how the defense is going to respond. There's nothing like being a receiver. I'm lining up, say I'm DK. I got a slant route. I'm isolated to the boundary, the short side of the field, um, and I have a, a trip set to the other side. And I know this running back, our running back is going to swing. We call it jet three, swing to the left side. All right, if they are in a zone, I'm looking inside and I'm saying, all right, that flat defender has to go. So with him going, say DK's running a slant, now he can play with his tempo because he can see and feel what that, what that flat defender is doing Boom, I can time it up perfectly to where as soon as he crosses my face, I'm giving the quarterback my chest and I'm sitting down in space or I'm just not passing passing up space. So DK, exactly, he developed that mid-range jumper. He understood the timing of the stuff going across the middle and how everything moving on an offense affects the defense. And that's not to say DK didn't know what a defender was going to do prior to that. But there's a difference between knowing what he's going to do and going out and executing it and having the, the the maturity and the patience, right, to be calm in that situation where, to us, everything's happening so fast. Right. But uh, a receiver has a clock in his head. He goes, all right, I got about two and a half, three seconds to play with here, which is a long time in football, but short in real life. Before we move on to the next guy, quick question for you guys. If you were starting an NFL franchise from the ground up, and could choose one wide out from the Pete Carroll era in Seattle at their peak, at their personal peak, to spearhead your passing offense, who would it be? For reference, the pool would probably be DK, hmm. Tyler, Sidney Rice, Doug Baldwin, Golden Tate, Percy Harvin, and most importantly, Tanner McAvoy, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bump, who are you choosing? Oh, uh, that is an excellent question. Now, because of how I would call my offense, I need me a guy 
in the slot with some wiggle. And Doug Baldwin had the best release in CR history. I mean, he man, he, he can work inside and outside, but I, I would put him to work in that slot because I feel like it's harder to find a slot receiver that's ready to go right now with the patience and the wiggle and all that. And I think it's easier to find some track dude who can just take the top off a of defense and then you try to develop them from there. So I'm probably going with Dougie Fresh, man. I think I'm going with Doug. You know, I, I, I don't even know if I can disagree with that. Doug Baldwin played out of the slot almost exclusively uh, in, in his career, and he led the NFL in touchdowns one season. Like, yeah. slot receivers don't do that. You might get the catches, you might get the yards, but you don't get the touchdowns. And that guy inside the 10-yard line, I mean, nightmare for a corner if you're an ISO on that guy because it's not just – it's like getting matched up with – Kyrie Irving out ISO ball. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, he, yep. he might get his points, but he also might put you on Sports Center doing it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Baldwin was a magician. He's the first guy I saw. Really, him and Stefan Diggs are the dudes who really look like they're dribbling at a basketball when they release. Mm. Like the way they move their hands and their body, the influence they have on the defense is crazy. Yeah, I, I like that answer. I mean, Obviously, everyone knows my love for DK. We've talked about how polished Tyler Lockett is, but Doug Baldwin was open before the ball even got to the quarterback from the center, man. Like, it was just yeah. crazy. And yeah. and I think that he was actually a really good lead-in to this next guy because when you were last on the show, you and I both expressed our excitement about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Seahawks took him at number 20 out of Ohio State, first wide receiver off the board. If DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are on opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of how they get it done, JSN feels a little bit of a bridge between them as far as the skill set goes, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, man. He um he has that big playability. And I always go back to the Rose Bowl where he what, lit Utah for 300-some yards, 15 catches. I mean, it was ridiculous. The thing that people fall in love with that I think you pay attention to, but you don't let it influence how you see a receiver overall. It's just their 40 time, right? You're going to look at Jackson Smith and Jigba and say, oh, he ran a four or five. He's not capable of, of running by you. And I go, you're crazy because. Tell that to the people who've been trying to guard Keenan Allen for the last 10 years. Exactly. Right. He makes up for that in other ways with his influence on the defense and his body language, him understanding what he's looking at and he has football speed. There's a difference between I'm going to line up and run 40 yards straight. I want you to ask any football player you talk to how many times they line up and run 40 yards straight <laughs> right. and you're not on kickoff cover. Right. Like, it don't it don't, don't work like that. That's why I hate big men running 40s. I'm like, man, you're ready. Get rid of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see yeah. no big men running 40s anymore. If a big man's running 40, that means it's an interception. Right. I, I, I don't want to see um, <laughs> was he he's a he's a football player man yeah and i love when i see football players a guy who isn't who isn't putting a box and saying he can only do this jigma and, and jigma can run by you he can shake you he'll sit in space he'll go over the top he is that bridge between a dk and tyler lockett but i also want to point out that every year dk has gotten better with something so i cannot wait to see what it is this year yeah man i i hear you and and to your point i mean jerry rice ran a four six tell me how many times you saw that guy get caught on a football field man i mean 
you know what? I always ran faster when I was getting chased by a dog. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always ran faster. There's, totally. there's 11 dogs out there trying to get you. <laughs> totally. Yeah, man. And I mean, you know, Smith and Jigba, he he played mostly out of the slot at uh, at Ohio State. But I think you and I both see the potential for him to move outside and, and you know, potentially provide that bridge for when Tyler Lockett's time finally comes. But, you know, he spent time at Ohio State, which has become wide receiver university. And, you know, I think if he was eligible to come out the year before this past one where he, he kind of had the hamstring tweak and I think he was just kind of preserving his, his pro potential by sitting out the year. But if he had been eligible to come out the year before, I think he could have pushed to be the wide receiver off the board in that class. And and that's a class that had Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson, Traylon Burks, and others. Yeah, I mean, my man, he does it all. The, you know, the one receiver that I felt like will give him a run for his money is Drake London. And the, and the thing with Drake London, too, is he didn't run a fast 40 either. Right. You know what I'm saying? He, he's just a football player. He's a, he's a route runner. He's a receiver. He understands space. And I love seeing that because there was a time where people fell in love with the six three, six four, two something, and it can run fast. And there's a there's a time and a place for those type of dudes, and I think every office can benefit from having that type of guy. But you get a receiver who can do multiple things. You can line them up in in different spots, different positions, and have them run different routes. This makes the defense have have to prepare that much more. So I, I think he would have he would have been. Because Drake London was the first receiver taken, if I believe. Yep. And uh, I think that you could you could win one or two of those guys. But yeah, the past two years, he's definitely top three receivers um in the game. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's it seems like a pretty soft landing spot for him in Seattle, where he doesn't necessarily have to be the guy right away. He can come along at whatever pace the team feels is necessary. And he's got a quarterback that puts the ball on the money on time. And and that's something the receiver can't control. Right. But we've seen from Geno Smith over the last year, year plus, he does have the ability to recognize what guy is going to get open before they're open. And a guy like Smith and Jigba can do that quickly, which that's quarterback's best friend. Oh, yeah, it is, man. It's, it's all about trust. Uh, when I was in college, uh, my first year, I got I think I caught 35 footballs and um, we had two quarterbacks. Josh Schwager started and then Alex Brink finished it. I didn't start getting a lot of targets until Alex Frank got into the situation. Why is that? Uh, he was a redshirt freshman. I was a freshman. We started the season running with the twos. We just had this chemistry, right? He understood my fingerprint, my body language. He knew what I was going to mm-hmm. do. I knew what he was expecting. So when you have that that safety blanket in the slot, a guy who can go across the middle, find space, and sit down, uh, there's nothing like it because – uh, you you need the outside guys to stress the defense and hold the safeties. You need your tight ends to work the seams and work the flat to expand defenses as well. And then you combine that with a guy who, one, not afraid to go across the middle. And in today's game, you shouldn't be afraid. They ain't going to hit you anyway. Uh, and be able to sit down and be available. It's a beautiful thing, man. And uh, it builds a lot of trust. And we already know that Geno trusts Tyler Lockett. He trusts DK. I even thought he'd trust uh, Marquise Goodwin a bit last year, but um, with Njigba having his time together and, and being able to be influenced by Shane Waldron and DK and Lockett and Geno, I think it's huge too. Because even with Marquise Goodwin last year, a good receiver, 400 yards with two or three touchdowns, 
Um, he's an OG in the game. Right? You're not you're not gonna yeah. teach him too many new tricks with within Jigba. You have a chance to really help mold a young man, and he's getting he has three of the best mentors in the game. Yeah, he he really does. Like, like I said, it's a great great situation for him to be in. And one of the things that he does that you don't see from a lot of slot type wide receivers, he's got that yak ability too. You know, he, he kind of, you know, his get off is similar uh, to Doug Baldwin, but when he's got the ball in his hands, he's a little bit more golden Tate kind of turns into that running back. Yeah. He's slippery. He's slippery. He's not even, he's not a guy that's going to run by you, but if you watch his highlights, he's the guy that you rarely see get squared up and just pops, you know, right. He's the guy who is capable of changing degrees just enough to where, okay, you might make the tackle, but you're not going to get a clean hit on me. Yeah, I'm going to make sure that that I'm safe out there. And that comes with, one, it's an ability. I know some guys have no dang awareness, and I'm like, bro, you just, you're just going to run straight into that mic back right there? Like, you don't see that <laughs> man sitting there? And then, you know, you got, you got guys who ain't even looking at him, but they feel him. They have mm-hmm. a great feel for the game. And that translates into yak, too. Especially if you're not a four three guy. There's some dudes right. you give them the football and put my foot in the ground and go north south and no one's catching me. With in Jigba, he goes, Okay, I'm gonna get north south, but I'm gonna lean a little west to set you up there, bam, and I'm gonna snap you up there. And you might get two hands on me, but your arm tackling and I'm too strong and I can get through that. He is it, the, the tough part about this, Jackson, is that it's I'm trying not to get too hyped. I know. I'm trying not <laughs> yeah, to I know, me too. To set, expectations that he right. just ain't gonna reach you know i'm like but you watch the film and it, it's hard not to get hype because he can do a little bit of everything listen man there's going to be time later to walk this back if we need to so i i say lean into it you know when you watch his tape and you see some of the traits that jump out to you what guys currently in the nfl or maybe who've been in the nfl recently does he remind you of are there any pro comps that you're just like oh man i see a lot of this guy in jsn i like that i like that question as a young guy, he's a, a little bit of, of a different receiver. I think this guy has more big playability right now. But I look at Jamar Chase mm-hmm. and I go, I see a little bit of similarities. And I look at Jamar, when I look at the stature, you got to start there. They're both around, what, 5'11", 6 foot? Yep. Um, they say 5'11", 6 foot, so they're really like 5'9", 5'10". Um, <laughs> right. And then I look at... <laughs> I look at their their stride. Um, I own a training facility. We train athletes, elite training academy. So I've done this for 15, 20 years. I look at the way a player moves. I look at his stride, and they have similar strides. And then I look at their indicators. So indicators is what a receiver does at the top of this route to change his angle. One, it establishes, okay, I'm going here. I'm going 45 now. It it moves the defender because of that radical movement. But then what it also does is it tells your quarterback, I've reached the top of my route. Check my body language now. And I look at Jamar Chase and I look at Njigba and I go, their stride, their stature, and their indicators are very similar. Offense is going to be different. Jamar Chase is an outside guy. He does play some slot too, but does most of his work on outside. I believe Jamar Chase is a bit faster than Njigba. But when I just look at their style, right, their fingerprint, their indicators, um, and the way they attack the football, uh, they look pretty similar to me. Just Jamar's a bit faster and he's in a different offense. 
Yeah, you know, I I want to hate that comp, but I don't because they've got similar build. You're right about their gait. The way they run is super, super similar. Now, Jamar Chase, he's got that beat you anywhere on the field. Like, I don't care who's guarding yeah. me, what the defense is doing. I'm not, yeah. I'm not putting that on JSM, yeah. and I don't think you are either. But in terms of style, I do see that. And, you know, there's nothing I like better than hearing great – athletes talk about other great athletes and there's something that when i've watched jsn's tape remind me of a quote oh man and and i can't remember which linebacker said it he's talking about alvin kamara and he's like that is the toughest dude to tackle that i've ever tried to take down and the reason for it is as soon as i get my hands on him he just kind of goes limp it's not like he's trucking me or spinning out or whatever his, his body just goes limp and i slip off of him and he keeps going and there's so much of that from jsn's time at ohio state where he catch it and the safety linebacker nickel corner whoever gets his hands on him and then they just fall off of him like jsn's taking off a coat or something yeah man oh man that's that's a great way to describe it because Kamar does that he'll go right on his blocker he'll even have his hand on the back there's a, a defender trying to grab him for some reason he slips off i love that man and that and that's that's something you don't teach right, right. that's just something right. that that you just have right and that's and you know what it is i guarantee part of it is just being a smaller dude as a smaller dude everyone's going to try to take your head off that's just part of it right yeah. no one's no one's looking at Derrick Henry and saying, I'm about to light his ass up. No, no. <laughs> they're, saying, <laughs> right. they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm tackling knees to ankle because he's going to run through me. With smaller dudes or light, lighter dudes, you would learn that quickly. I learned that my first year of football. I'm running all high, going across the middle. Boom, I get lit up. My buddy told me, he goes, man, you're a small dude. They're going to try to get after you. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that's something that's, uh, that happened with trial and error. And, yeah. uh, and they've found a way to master that. And it's fun to watch. Yeah. So look, assuming health, the three guys that we've talked about, they're likely to split the majority of the wide receiver targets in this offense. But as you know, wide receiver rooms go a lot deeper than that. Mike, you want to read off the other guys in that group and then bump, you let us know some quick thoughts on any of them that stand out to you. Yeah. So we've got D Eskridge, we've got Derek Young, uh, who were both, names on last year's roster as well. Cade Johnson got some time uh, towards the end of the year. Cody Thompson still around. Uh, Bump, you mentioned Jake Bobo earlier. There are a few other guys. Who stood out to you so far? Um, so far, I'll, I'll just go through it and give you what I think about both, all these guys. Great. Cade Johnson, Cody Thompson are guys who can play in this league. I don't expect them to be starters in this league, but they're reliable. And reliability is huge at the receiver spot. You got to do the right things, be in the right place at the right time. And that's why those guys have been able to stick around, in my opinion. Um, you go to Derek Young, who I really like. I like Derek Young. Comes from a small university. The coaches seem to like him, too. Yeah, they do. I mean, um, we, we interviewed him on one of the shows I do on Hawks Live on Thursdays. Uh, and it was like the last quarter of the season. And we're talking about how we're seeing him a bit more. And he goes, yeah, man, you know, the, the coaches want to use me a bit more at tight end as well because he played tight end in college. He played tight end, running back, and receiver in college. He did it all, and he's big. He's not a small guy. And he goes down on special teams, and he makes a lot of plays. I like him. He's a utility type of dude. He's that guy, uh, you know, um, Slater, receiver for New England that's been there for 20 years or something Yeah, like Matthew that. Slater, like man. Slater, yeah, he's been around. 
because he's reliable and he's good on special teams and he's a big body. That's how I see Derek Young. And if you open up the playbook, I think he can make plays as well. He's made he made a couple last year. Um, DS was just the one that is baffles me, man, because you you see what he can do, and he's more explosive than Tyler Lockett when it comes to speed and agility, right? Um, but for some reason, he can't stay healthy, and that's always going to be a problem. And I don't think they trust him yet. Now, I'm not at practice every day. I'm not in the film room, so I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe he has some hurdles when it comes to some things. But for some reason, they don't trust him, and he hasn't been available because of injuries. This is going to be a big year for DS Grace. I think he can do it. People on, on the Bumper Station show get on my head. They're like, I don't know why you like this guy so much. He's a bum. It's crazy how people call NFL athletes bums and they're right. sitting at home. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, he's not a bum. Right. He's in the league. Right. right. Yeah, elbow about? deep in a bag of Cheetos on the couch. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, he's a, but he's a bum. Um, it's going to be big for D. I think he can help in the kick return game. But I think if he can stay healthy, he can help in the pass game too. Um, Jay Bubble is, is the guy that intrigues me the most. And he intrigues me the most, one, because he's big as hell, what, 6'4", 6'5". Um, right. And he intrigues me the most because he's slow. Yet, I go to these practices, and he's making plays, and he's getting open. So if you run, my man ran like a 4'8", four, 4'9". Four, he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's slow. There's no reason he should be get, he should be getting open, right? The reason why he's getting open is he's a football player. And I love me some football mm-hmm. players. And I think he's a dark horse to, to make the roster. I think that if they try to slip him on to the practice squad, somebody might grab him. And because of that, he has a chance of making this team. Now, he's got to go down and, and tackle dudes. And that's something receivers don't like to do. I remember the oh man preseason, my, my rookie season, they asked me to go down and tackle somebody on kick, kickoff cover. I'm like, I ain't tapping anybody since high school, man. I'm like, what are you talking about? Go down and tackle somebody. Right, right. Uh, just throw your butt. He was like, just throw your body in there and see what happens. So that's exactly what I did. But thankfully, Bubble has the body to really be physical on special teams. Um, I'm, I'm counting on him making it. But I like this wide receiver room, one, because there's competition. There are guys who have been here for a while, so they understand how Shane and these guys like to work. But there's no denying who who's going to get the start. And that's right. Lockett, DK, and Ajigba. So everyone else is fighting behind them. And I love that because – it creates competition and it forces guys to either put up or shut up. And um, P. Carroll loves that. Yeah, no doubt. I want to circle back to D. Eskridge because of all these depth guys, he's the one with real draft capital, right? That had some hype coming out. It was it was the first skill position uh, taken since Shane Waldron was brought on. And you could just tell they, they had a plan for this guy. So let's say he stays healthy. Let's say he earns the trust of the coaching staff enough to be on the roster and get on the field. Is he the type of guy? Let me back up. What what role in that situation does D. Eskridge have on this team? Is he someone that you got to manufacture touches for? Or can you put him out there and say, hey, we, we trust you with this playbook? I think to get him going, you have to manufacture touches. And I look at, I mean, Shane Waldron comes from the Rams offense and Sean McVay, he's in that coaching tree. And if you think about the Rams back in the Jared Goff days before Matthew Stafford, when they were doing their thing, there was so much pre-snap movement. It made the defense have to communicate and be held accountable. And how did they do that? They would shift with the tight ends a bunch, which I think we're going to see more of. And they would use the receivers, Robert Woods specifically, going from left to right because he was fast enough to do it. I think initially that's probably where you should use D. Eskridge 
is when it comes to shifting and motioning. But he's the type of receiver to where he's like a um, he's a scorer in the NBA. He's a slasher. You know, things ain't going right. Yeah. All right, get to the free throw line. See if you buckets go in, and you'll get your game going. That's how the way I look at him. I go, he needs a couple touches to remind himself, okay, I can do this. I'm in a groove. And you get your game going. And if there's anybody who can be a screen guy for the offense at the receiver spot, I think it's D. Eskridge, man. Because where do you go to? Western Michigan or something like yeah. that? Um, you look at his film, he has the speed to go over the top. He has the, the wiggle, the yards after the catch. Just for some reason, it hasn't been clicking for him quite yet. So I think you manufactured some touches for him earlier. But then he's, he's got to prove that he can just run the offense, right? You can't just put him in there and, and everyone knows that, okay, there's a screen, right. a bubble coming, a jet sweep, and then you become predictable, and that's not what you want to be. So I, I think initially get us some touches. Uh, after that, he's got to be able to do everything. I mean, it's what you saw the Chiefs do after they traded for Kadarius Tony, right? They weren't putting him out there 60 right. snaps a game. He'd be out there for 20, but – he was going to get looks on those, right? And and I'm not saying he has just Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony's an alien, man. That dude moves different than anybody I ever seen. He's like a <laughs> yeah. he's like a water skeeter, man. But but Eskridge, I think, is the same kind of thing where it's like, I think initially if he's on the field, it is a little bit of a tell that he's out there because they want to get him the ball. And if he can do that and if he can win. Even occasionally, like for me, for D Eskridge to be successful, it's not him going out and having a thousand yard season. I don't think that's in his range of outcomes anymore, barring some catastrophic injuries right. in front of him. But if he can get you the right four to 500 yards in a season, right? Convert a big third down, score a long touchdown uh, where he's just gets real slippery. Those are the things that maybe it's worth a win over the course of a season. There's real value in that. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, look how the Chiefs used Sky Moore in the Super Bowl, right? Yes. They, and they they said another Western oh Michigan my, guy, right? Exactly. The way they set him up for success in that Super Bowl was beautiful. Andy mm-hmm. Reid said, "You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this 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 quick young guy. I'm going to put him in motion. I'm going to send him across the field. Boom! They send him, put him in motion on the outside. Bam! He runs a shallow cross, gets the football on the side of the field. Boom!" Right, Andy holds on to that thing for about two or three quarters. Get down to the fourth quarter, he shows the same formation with the same personnel out there. Yeah, motion sky yeah. more across. Bam, snaps the football instead of going to the shallow. Bam, now I'm headed to the flat. Defense reacts, easy touchdown. That's the type of guy D. Esperes needs to be. That is a, a weapon that needs to be utilized. Um, and he's more than capable. I'm with you. A thousand yards. Don't worry about that, man. You give us eight to ten big plays a season and you have a spot on this team yes yes absolutely man you just you need that microwave shooter off the bench sometimes go out get you some buckets right exactly just change it up change the pace type of dude exactly so you know we've been going through seattle's position groups one one by one and i think out of all of them wide receiver is their strongest they're built to be good now and for the foreseeable future. But as you look around the league, how many teams would you trade these guys for straight up? And and by that, I mean, you have the option to trade all the receivers on Seattle for all the receivers on another team straight across. Okay. One. So here, here, here are the teams, here are the teams that I, I would consider. I'm not saying I would do this yeah. trade, but I'm considering it obviously with the Bengals, the Dolphins, yep. the Eagles, the Vikings, the Chargers, 
and and maybe the Bucks. Those those are kind of the teams that I came up with. But uh, out of those ones, I'm, I'm well. I want to hear who you would take <laughs> over Seattle's group before I give my yeah. answer. Um, not too many. I look at the Cincinnati Bengals and I go, they got three of them over there, two thousand yard receivers and another what seven to eight hundred yard receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys are good to go. I, I look think that's at in. My, yeah, I look at um, Miami and they have two over there who I feel like are equivalent to three if, yes. if you do it right in Waddle and Tyreek Hill. After that, actually, and then I could look at. I look at the Niners and I appreciate what they do with their receivers because the Debo That's and Brandon Ayuk. They um, should be on this list. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's they're special. They're both. They're physically they're probably the most athletic receivers. Um, not the most polished, but the most athletic. It's the way they move and the yards after the catch is crazy yeah. with those two. But after that, I mean, I don't see anybody. Everyone else just has one receiver you really rock with. I mean. You could look at Philly and say A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, but I'll take Tyler Lockett over Devontae Smith. Only thing Devontae Smith has is that he's younger than Tyler Lockett right now. Yeah. Uh, but anywhere else, you're just looking at one receiver. I mean, Dallas has CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. They, they're fine over there. Nothing too great. Um, you got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen is lost. They really depend on their tight end over there. Just Jefferson, in their tight end. Yeah. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if Jordan Addison doesn't uh, sneak into the conversation by year's end, but that's a lot of projection there. Yeah, it is. It is Jordan Addison. Um, you look at Baltimore. We think Odell Beckham is going to be good. You guys, they yep. flowers over there as well. Um, yeah. There's only two other Sean teams. Bateman. Yeah. Bateman's there, but he can't stay healthy to save his life. Um, so I, I don't see too many. I, I'd say two straight up other than that we got to work some uh, deal out i think i'm with you the 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 temptation for justin jefferson you almost just want to take whatever comes along with him you know because I, yeah. I i think he just might be you know i, I might put Devonte adams ahead of him in terms of just like most complete wide receiver in the nfl but that that might be about it uh-huh. the other team the other team that i am thinking hard about those the chargers just because you know, you know what a fan of keenan allen i am i think mike williams gives you that big play you know, he's probably the best contested catch guy in the NFL, but as a result, he's also hurt all the time. And then they just drafted Quentin Johnson. Again, you got to project, but he went right after Jackson Smith and Jigba and was in that conversation for first wide receiver off the board. But I think I'm with you. I, I think I got Seattle number three behind Cincinnati and Miami. Yeah, I mean, we're banking on in Jigba being the guy that uh, we think he can be. But if he is, I mean, it's on Geno now. And that offensive line, yeah. can you protect Gino? Can you be first half of the season, Gino, for the whole season? And uh, can Shane, and, and I'm really excited for Shane too, man. I feel like, just like Clint Hurt on the defensive side, I feel like has everything he needs now to run that 3-4. I think they forced it last sure. year. They just didn't have the guys, but hey, this is what we're going to do. I look at Shane Walsh and I go, bro, you got everything now. You got everything. You have four running backs, so I know we're going to see all four of them. You have Three starting receivers who are going to get to go. You got three tight ends who can get it done. You're young on that offensive line, but with the tackles going through their bumps and bruises last year, you still got Evan Brown who's going to compete at that center and that guard spot. You drafted two other offensive linemen. I'm looking at this offense, and I'm saying it might not put up the numbers that that Schottenheimer offense put up and broke all these franchise records. But they're going to be able to do whatever they want to do, play whatever style they want to play and just line up and go. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. You know, I don't think Seattle's going to play at the pace that lets them put up the raw numbers that 
have you talking about like this is top five offense. Like I don't think they're going to be top five in points per game, but I do think they can be top five in what I think is the most important offensive metric, which is points per drive. Because some teams, the way they want to do it, their offense is only going to be on the field 10, 11 possessions. Other teams want 12, 13, 14 possessions. They're, they're going to boat race. You look at the the Vikings. They just play fast, got a shitty defense. They're going to go out there and score as often as they can. But per possession, how many points are you scoring? I see no reason Seattle can't be top five, top six in the NFL this year. Oh, yeah, especially if that, if that defense holds it down. You know, and the reason why, a lot of the reason why offenses want to score, 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 one, that's just the way the game is going. But another factor is that they just don't know what their defense is going to do. You know, can the defense hold it down for us? Are we going to be into a shoot again to a shootout? And I think with this Hawks offense, it's I look at the offense and I say this is going to be an offense that is going to be powerful yet explosive. You're going to yeah. run the football with Kim Walker and Zach Charbonnet, but you reserve the right to get into a five-step drop and heave that thing 60 yards down the field because you got three dudes who can do it. Like, you look at the more explosive offenses in this league, obviously you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, they reserve the right to run the football, but they don't do it in the way that the Hawks do it. The Hawks do it to control the game, to wear you down. The Chiefs do it to keep you honest. Like, all right, you know we're going to throw it, but you got to respect the run. I think the Hawks are one of the few teams that can – legit emphasize any part of the game that they want and it's not it's not to keep you honest it is going to keep you honest but it's okay what type of game are we playing is this a physical type of game fuck let's get physical if this a finesse type of game let's open it up and get finesse but then you got to play physical football as well because we're going to run run the rock so it's um it's nice to be able to play the game that the game requires and not be pigeonholed and forced to only play one style. Yeah. Well, and and that's what I think is so exciting. And as you were talking, I was trying to think like Seattle ever been in a position in the Pete Carroll era to play two way football on offense. And by that, I mean, you got a 10 point lead with seven, eight minutes left. Can you play the style of offense that milks the clock, keeps the ball moving keeps the other offense on the sideline and and just kind of squeeze out that win. And then also, if you're down 10 with seven, eight minutes left, can you count on offense to score quickly and give yourself a chance to steal that victory? And I think on paper, Seattle is prepared to do that. I don't know that they've ever really been in that situation before. No, I don't think so. I mean, because you think about last year. What, what was the knock on Gino last year? Oh, he, no game-winning drives. You know, he can't, he can't right. win the big one. He, he got one last year against the Rams, um, but it felt like it wasn't forced, but it didn't feel like that was something that was in their wheelhouse. You know, it was like, all right, we're, we're forced to do this because of the situation. But like you said, on paper, at least now, they can do that. They can play whatever you want to play. Four-minute offense, let's slow it down. Two-minute offense, let's speed it up. There's just so much. Gino has so much pressure on him this year. I mean, last year was his – all right, let's see what happens type of year. You know, I was I was yeah. one of the, the ones who were saying, man, look at look at Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, I was one of the ones who were reluctant to to give this guy a chance. And when you don't have expectations, it's easy to go out there and play some good ball. Now I think Gino's legit. I think he's gonna go out and ball out this year. And he doesn't even need to be um 
do all the things that he did last year because he's going to have more weapons this year. But there's a bit more pressure on Geno this year. He got paid money. You yes. have more offensive linemen. They got you a receiver. You got another running back. All right, it's it's time to go now. So I'm excited to see what Geno does with these weapons, and I'm excited to see how he handles this different type of pressure. Well, and even early in the season last year, you know, I think about those back-to-back games against the Saints and the Lions. You know, they they split those games, but both those games they had to score a bunch of points. Like defense was not getting it done. They had to go out there and score, and they did it. They, you know, I think they scored damn near 80 points in those two games, and it's like. You know, you, you talk about that game-winning drive against the Rams, and what was so cool about it is it, it happened in structure. You know, it's it's gotten trendy to you know knock on Russell Wilson these last couple of years, and yeah, a lot of it is is justified or whatever. But the thing about Russ, so easy to forget, like they had so many of those wild comeback wins because he just tapped into some magic, right? Like it was like, all right, it's Russell Wilson time. And he's going to run around like a little squirrel until someone's open, make some miraculous pass, make things happen. That was incredibly exciting. It just felt weird to rely on it. And I feel like Seattle can score quickly now, but they can do it within structure. It's not going to require outlier plays in order to do that, you know? And, And I'm not saying Gino is Joe Burrow, not at all, but I look at the way the Bengals operate their offense they need to score quick it's not goofy backyard football it's okay we've got the horses to do this we got the quarterback we got the receivers we can get out there and we can score quick just running our offense and i think that's within seattle's range of outcomes this year yeah i'm glad you brought up russell wilson because all of seattle's had a year just to go in on russell right he's no longer with you He's with Denver. He won it out. And everyone's going in on Russell. Like, he wasn't one of the main pieces for people having the feeling that they have when they look at the logo. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. I remember looking at the Bengals logo growing up and thinking, there ain't there's nothing there. You know, oh, there's nothing there. <laughs> right. now, yeah. now you look at the logo, you go, oh, that's Joe and them. You know, that's Joe Burrow yeah. and the squad. You got to yeah. look after the Bengals. People used to look at the Seahawks logo and think it's nothing. You know, logos invoke like feelings and people look at the Seahawks logo and they feel something because of one, the Legion of Boom can't, can't deny what happened there. But Russell was here longer than the Legion of Boom and Russell put Mm -hmm. up some numbers and his success were the off script type of plays because that's just his style. And who knows? It could be, he couldn't see receivers. I mean, with all these conspiracy theories, right? Whatever, whatever you believe, you can't deny that Russell made these plays and they were off script type of plays, which made them more exciting. At the same time, the thing that made them more exciting, I think that's the same thing that drove Pete Carroll nuts at times. Because mm-hmm. he's like, oh my God, just hit the opening guy. He's wide open. We don't, we don't have to make it this hard. <laughs> you know, like just hit him. You work your way methodically down the field. We all got to get it all in one. So the greatness yeah. of Russell Wilson is one of the reason why. He's in Denver now because he believed that he's he's him. He's that guy. And he is yep. one of those guys. Um, but the other reason is because I think Pete likes structure. No matter what you think of Pete Carroll and him being a player coach and it being loose and stuff. I talked about it on the show with Stacy today. I go, people get it twisted. Pete has structure, loves structure, and wants to be on time in everything that he does. And with Russell Wilson, um, that just wasn't his style. So you know, people grow apart. So what do you get with Gino? You get a guy who 
sat for eight years behind three Hall of Famers and got to learn the game and understands that, okay, for me to be here, I have to be extremely efficient. And just because we're down six and there's two and a half minutes left doesn't mean that I can't be efficient. I don't have to live by the deep ball, die by the deep ball. I reserve the right to throw that thing, but I will run this offense. And I think that puts Pete Carroll at ease. He's like, okay, we're going to go through our process here. Less backyard ball, even though backyard ball is exciting and can win some games. Yeah, it's it's a nice option to have, but you don't want to rely on it. You know, we we had Mina on to talk quarterback last week, and one of the things that we were given Gino his flowers for is his ability to take those calculated risks, right? Like he's not out there playing YOLO ball. He he'll take two or three shots a game, but he picks his spots with it. And I think that's something that has to give a head coach, especially one like Pete Carroll, uh, just a lot of comfort, you know, that's like, okay, you're, you're only going to do this a couple of times. So I trust you to pick those spots because you've earned that trust from us. But the rest of the time, the other 58 plays that we run, I can count on you to get the ball where it needs to go to make the right uh, pre-snap read, put a guy in motion who needs to be there, tell you what the defense is doing and then run the play. Yeah, before I respond to that, I want to say big ups to y'all. Y'all get Mina on a lot, and she's a hard <laughs> person to get. So y'all are doing it. And I saw you have my guy Walton Jones on this thing, too. So whatever you guys are doing, Cigar Thoughts, hey, y'all, y'all, y'all keep that rolling. Um, but <laughs> uh, structure, structure is football, man. Structure is everything football is about. Without football, I wouldn't have the structure in my life that I would have. I wouldn't be um, uptight when it comes to being on time or things looking aesthetically pleasing or making mm-hmm. sure my kids know their responsibilities. And and all those things is football. It's very militant. I'll never compare football to our soldiers who protect us. I appreciate y'all. But it's, it's very militant. And um, you have to do your job. You know what I'm saying? Don't do his job. Don't do that. You do your job and we'll be fine. Or at least we'll give ourselves an opportunity. All right? When things are going crazy, my dad's in the military, was a military. When things are going crazy and it's going down, what do you rely on? You rely on your training. And football is the one sport to where if you deviate from your training, if too many guys are deviating from your training, you're going to fail. In basketball, one guy can take over. Give me the rock, clear out, I got you. In soccer, yep. we see Messi dribble through a whole bunch of dudes. I got you. And in hockey, you got a goaltender that's high. Group hour, hot, right? You guys don't worry about it. Right. One man right. can keep you in the game. I got you. In uh, football, it's like, okay, one man can have a big impact on the game, but one man ain't going to win it. And yeah. that's what I love about the game, and I think that's what Pete Carroll loves and emphasizes about the game, is that as long as we're all moving in that same direction, no matter what the situation is, we're going to have a chance to win a ball game. And that's exactly what Gino does. He just keeps the offense inching away. Even if it's it's not as, as explosive as you want it, like you said, eventually, boom, he'll let one loose and drop a dime to lock it between four defenders and, and keep this thing going. Yeah, man. Well, I, I think that's the perfect note to end this show on. Listen, man, this has been an exceptional conversation. I want to thank you for making the time. We really appreciate it, bro. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Anytime. You guys... Keep doing what you're doing, man. I see y'all working, baby. (laughs) That means a lot, Bump. Thank you, because you're killing it in your sphere, too. Man, that's a tough transition to make. You've been nailing it. Before we get out of here, where else can the listeners find more of you? Oh, man. Hit me up on Twitter, Michael Bumpus 5. Instagram, Michael Bumpus 5. The season is about to start. Um, Daily show, 
bumping Stacy, my young, beautiful, smart host, Stacy Ross is on there, 10 to 2 every day on 710. And then once football gets going, I'm the lead host for the Seahawks pre-halftime and post-game show on 710. Then catch me on Saturdays on the Pac-12 Network. It's almost football season. Let's go. Man, busy guy. I love it. Well, means a lot that you carved out the time for us today, man. We appreciate you so much. You have yourself a wonderful rest of the day. All right, fellas. Take care. All right, that's going to do it for today, folks. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL. On TikTok at, at Cigar Thoughts. And on YouTube at Cigar Thoughts. And on Facebook at Cigar Thoughts, a football show. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating, leave us a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out cigarthoughtsnfl.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thought cigars. Or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the details. When you buy those cigars, let us know on Twitter or Instagram how you like them. Shoot us a pic. It means a lot to us. Something we're very, very excited about, and we're stoked that you guys are excited about it too. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of this show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life. It is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We will be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Yeah.